Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition, day 36 of the campaign, just Five days to go now before Canadians go to the polls. And the polls still suggest a minority Conservative or Liberal government. The main party leaders spent more time in Quebec again today. We'll look at the changing landscape in that province and why it is so important to the election outcome. On a day when former U.S. President Barack Obama endorses Justin Trudeau in a tweet. And a Manitoba teen underscores the importance of voting. Our panel of journalists will discuss the day's key campaign events and the battle for Regina Wascana. It's been a liberal island in the province of Saskatchewan. Can Ralph Goodale hang on again? That's all coming up. But first, our Day 36 campaign primer. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau blitzed the province of Quebec, six stops in Montreal and the eastern townships, in NDP-held ridings that appear likely to go Bloc Québécois or Liberal. He began the day with a stop at the Botanical Gardens in Montreal, where surrounded by 29 Liberal candidates, he restated his plans to fight climate change. And he acknowledged the Conservatives could win on Monday, in part by playing dirty. And I think Conservatives need to continue to be called out on the nasty negative campaign that they are running, because Canadians deserve better. Trudeau was referring to a media report today in the Globe and Mail that the Conservative Manning Centre is refusing to say where it got donations it used to fund third-party political groups running attack ads against the Liberals. Trudeau also set his sights on the Bloc Québécois, which is building support in Quebec at the expense of Liberals and Conservatives in ridings where both parties had hoped to make gains. We need Quebecers to stand strong against those voices across the country and around the world that don't understand how to build a better future. So next time we'll be in Ottawa. Yes, we'll absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer began the day in a riding north of Montreal with his star candidate, former Olympic synchronized swimming champion, Sylvie Fréchette. It was Scheer's last visit to Quebec before Monday's vote. Then he moved to ridings in southwestern Ontario, in Essex, a riding the Conservatives held for a decade before the NDP won it in 2015, Scheer announced a Conservative government would introduce legislation to attach fines of up to $20,000 for violations of ethics laws. It was an effort to turn the campaign spotlight back on the ethics violations of the Liberal leader. Time and time again, he, is, he and his ministers have abused the power of their office for their own personal gain. And furthermore, Justin Trudeau is now desperately trying to salvage his job by doing a coalition deal with the NDP. Scheer refused to say whether he would close election law loopholes that allow the Manning Centre to raise funds from unidentified donors and pass them along to third parties for ad campaigns against Liberals. I will note that when you look at groups like Engage Canada, Lead Now and other uh, types of organizations who have spent uh, untold amounts of money uh, helping to support uh, NDP and Liberal candidates, uh, there's certainly, uh, there certainly is a lot of activity with that type of uh, with that type of thing. The NDP leader also campaigned for the last time in Quebec today. Jagmeet Singh's first stop, a symbolic one, the Jack Layton Park 
in Hudson, Quebec, where the late NDP leader was raised. The legacy of Jack Layton is being carried out by a wonderful, courageous, compassionate leader, my good friend, Jackmeet Singh. I did not expect that. <laughs> Jack Layton triggered the orange wave in Quebec that carried the NDP to official opposition status in 2011, winning 59 seats. Eight years later, Singh is trying to save the remaining 14 seats held by the NDP from being washed away. So he's playing defense. He stopped by Layton's high school for a brief visit with students. By invoking the legacy of Jack Layton, Singh is trying to keep NDP support from drifting to the other parties. Asked why progressive voters should ignore the plea from Justin Trudeau to unite behind the Liberals, Singh's answer. Uh, that we are actually progressive. <laughs> Some polls suggest the NDP has stopped its slide in support in Quebec and may even be bouncing back a little. Singh suggests more voters in the province are looking past his appearance. Quebecers are saying, you know what? This is a guy that sounds just like us. He talks like us. His French isn't that bad. <laughs> and, and, but more importantly, he's got the same values. And in the midst of the whirlwind campaigning, the attacks and the appeal for votes, a moment for reflection and inspiration on the importance of a single vote. Take the next few seconds to watch this video from 18-year-old Winnipeg teen Madison Yetman facing a sudden diagnosis of terminal cancer, but still voted for the first time in the advance polls. And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 36 of the campaign, voting day just five days away. So in the last 24 hours, the main party leaders have made the province of Quebec their focus. The Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, there on Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night, and again this morning before heading to Ontario. Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh there all day today. Quebec is key to the fortunes of all three parties, but the sudden rise of the Bloc Québécois means uh, nothing is for certain in Quebec these days except some very competitive races and key ridings. Daniel Bellin is the director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada. He joins me now from Montreal. Uh, Daniel Bellin, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, with 78 seats at stake in the province of Quebec, the leaders are paying a lot of attention to the province. Let, let's start there and, and why Quebec is so important to any leader who wants to be prime minister. Well, this time around, I think Quebec is, uh, is very important because uh, you have these uh, 12, well, 14 uh, uh, NDP uh, seats. And, uh, and they are, most of them are really uh, um, in danger. And so I think that at the beginning of the campaign, the Liberals expected to win most of these uh, 14 seats and uh, the NDP could maybe keep a few of them. But right now, uh, with the rise of the bloc, I think that uh, there is, it's much more difficult for the Liberals to, to think about uh, winning uh, the large majority of these seats. And beyond that, uh, Quebec is, is a bit volatile. So... Um, you know, if you take Ontario, typically 
when the party wins in Ontario, wins the most seats in Ontario, they form government. But often Quebec wo votes in a different way. Like in 2011, we, Canadians elected uh, um, a conservative, majority conservative government, or at least was the outcome of the election. But in Quebec, uh, people uh, voted massively for the NDP, and the NDP ended up with 59 seats. So Quebec is sometimes quite unpredictable. And this time around, we see that. Uh, since the beginning of the campaign, the bloc has, uh, has risen in the polls in a, in a really major way. And that's totally changing the, uh, the political map here and, and the way it might, uh, uh, you know, the way the uh, elections might uh, turn out on, on the 21st. OK, let, let's go there. Why, why are we seeing the growth of the bloc, of the bloc Québécois? When the, I think when the campaign started, few people thought the bloc would be relevant in this campaign. Why is it suddenly back in the game? Well, I think that uh, François Legault is the main explanation here. Uh, they have aligned, the bloc has aligned itself with uh, François Legault and his policies, including Bill 21, uh, the only party that's actually defending really Bill 21, perhaps, well, with the exception of the People's Party, but that's a tiny party. So um, I think that it's, um, it's the, the fact that they, they have been surfing on the CAQ wave, the fact that François Legault is really a popular premier in Quebec, right now, and they have aligned themselves with these policies, and they defend the autonomy of Quebec. So this rise of the bloc is not about a sudden, you know, new passion, newfound passion for sovereignty per se. Support for sovereignty remains quite low in Quebec uh, right now, but it's more support for the defense of Quebec autonomy, and also to show some dissatisfaction towards uh, the, the performance of the Trudeau government in, in uh, specific areas such as the environment. Okay, I want to get into some of that in a moment, but let's stay with the man we see on our screen here, Yves-Francois Blanchette. Uh, he's found a way to connect with voters in Quebec uh, that, uh, you know, certainly recent uh, bloc leaders in the recent past haven't been able to do. And I guess there is, sure, there's the, the, uh, the François Legault effect that he, he's riding on that. But there's something about Mr. Blanchette as well, isn't there? there? Why is he finding a way to connect with voters in Quebec? Mr. Blanchet, first of all, provided stability and unity to the bloc, something they badly needed, uh, because uh, just a year and a half, two years ago, they were a divided party. Most members of the bloc caucus left, and it, it, it was really, uh, really a mess. And so he helped. He was the only candidate to, uh, to the leadership. He was basically became leader and he's been very successful in unifying the party and also someone who has a lot of media experience he used to participate in a in a show on the the radio canada news channel um and uh, he has a lot of experience with the media uh, very good social skills and he's been quite successful uh, in the debates especially the two french language debates so someone who has a uh, um, growing popular appeal in quebec among uh, ordinary voters Francophone voters, of course, yeah. primarily. What, what's your view of, of this notion that uh, if the polls tell us uh, it's likely to be a minority parliament on Monday, uh, does, does that in any way free a lot of voters in Quebec to look at the bloc as a real option? If they say, look, if, mm -hmm. if it's going to be about who's going to defend the interests of Quebec in a minority parliament, and if that's the overarching sort of sentiment you have as a voter, and it's going to be a minority parliament, then the bloc doesn't seem like such a risk for a lot of voters. Is that fair? That's true, especially if you think that this minority government will be liberal. But if it's conservative, then that becomes a bit more complicated. Um, and so voters have that in mind, too. And that's what Justin Trudeau is trying to say right now, 
you know, uh, vote for us because a vote for the bloc is actually a vote for the conservatives. Um, but I'm not sure that this will this argument will stick with most uh, uh, francophone voters who think about voting for the bloc. This well, time why not? Around. Why not? Well, I think that there is, you know, um, as I said, um, quite a few people who voted for uh, the liberals and back in 2015, and they are not necessarily so happy with the performance of the liberal government. Um, and there is also this uh, this issue that um, you know there, the autonomy of Quebec is important. Quebec's been the, in, in the mind of many voters has been uh, criticized by uh, the, the federalist leaders over Bill 21, and also some provincial leaders like Jason Kenney have a attacked or criticized Quebec. So there's a sense that, uh, uh, you know, Quebec has to defend itself in a way in Ottawa, and that the bloc is the best way to do that. And I think some people are, are uh, willing to vote for the bloc, even if it entails the risk of uh, um, favoring in the end the election of a conservative government in Ottawa. Although I think that if it was the risk was actually, people thought the risk was a conservative majority government, I think that would be a different uh, different situation. But but right now the talk is about minority, a potential minority government, minority parliament. And in that case, voting for the bloc is, yes, perceived as less of a risk. Each of the leaders seems to have a weakness here. Let me let me let me turn to Andrew Scheer. He he made this impassioned speech last night, trying to say, look, we 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 are the party that can allow for the full development, the full growth of Quebec within Canada. We're going to give you autonomy over a number of different things. We're going to let you do your own thing on on Bill 21, essentially. Um, and, and yet he's sliding in the polls as well with the rise of the bloc. So what what is it about Andrew Scheer that's not clicking with Quebecers? Well, I think that one aspect of the bloc I didn't mention, but this time around they decided to emphasize the environment as an issue. It's not something that they are naturally associated with, but they sense the you know the, the public pulse, the, the 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 public feelings, and especially public sentiment, especially among younger people in Quebec. And that's an issue for Andrew Scheer, is all the, this issue of you know pipelines and the energy corridor. That's not flying at all in Quebec, and that doesn't help him. Um, also, um, I think that. People will hear Andrew Scheer and they will think, well, I may as well vote for the bloc because if the conservatives can only get a minority government, having the bloc will put pressure on Andrew Scheer if he becomes prime minister at the helm of a minority government. Uh, electing more bloc MPs will actually put more pressure on the conservatives to deliver on that decentralization agenda. So um, I'm not sure this will actually work very well as a strategy. I understand the rationale for it. And I do think that if the Conservatives will have a minority government, uh, they could uh, seek the support of the bloc on key issues that will give more powers to Quebec or decentralize the, the, the federation. Um, and, and so uh, that's, I so I think here, uh, I, I'm not convinced that this will actually work for Andrew Scheer in Quebec or for the Conservatives in mm -hmm. Quebec. But, but what he's saying, I think, could let us anticipate what might happen in the case of a Conservative minority government and now they might actually uh, seek support from the bloc on, on uh, key policy issues. Okay, let's finish on uh, the NDP leaders, also in Quebec today, hoping to uh, save some of those 14 seats that the NDP has in the province. Um, the polls seem to suggest that he, the fall for the NDP may have stabilized a bit in Quebec. And Jagmeet Singh saying today that, look, I think people and more, more and more voters in Quebec are actually looking past my appearance, which he knew would be a concern, and saying, you know, he does share our values and giving him may, maybe a second look. What do you think the NDP is facing in Quebec on Monday? 
Well, I think the odds are still stacked against them in terms of the number of seats. I think that they are likely to lose most of their seats in Quebec. That's still the case. Um, but again, likely, it's not. there are things can happen. A lot of people actually, and that's the case especially in Quebec, will decide how to vote uh, in uh, the booth. Like they will decide at the very last minute. And it's true that uh, Jack Singh uh, as you know, has performed well in, in the French debates in general, especially the first French debate, the TVA debate, and, and that this popularity in Quebec is increasing. Uh, but the, the NDP is still quite low in the polls, even if it's doing better in Quebec. So it's still a very tough battle for them uh, uh, in the province. But I think he's doing maximum, uh, you know, he's, he's putting a lot of effort in, in, you know, spending time in Quebec and speaking to Quebecers because things are going slightly better for them in Quebec, but it doesn't mean that this will result in in preserving uh, most of their seats come October uh, 21st, come Monday. All right, uh, Daniel Bellin, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again for your uh, contribution and your insight today, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for the invitation. Have a wonderful uh, day. Merci. The bloc exists to fight against a, Quebec, uh, a federal government that doesn't understand Quebec, and yet with our priorities every step of the way, we've demonstrated that we, as a team of Quebecers, are always there to stand up for Quebec values and indeed Canadian values. We are going to surprise Canadians all over this country. It started a little while ago when we won a by-election in Quebec that we hadn't won in over 20 years in Chicoutimi Fjord, and we are going to do that in so many areas all across this country. Uh, I wouldn't write off any riding for the Conservative Party of Canada because Canadians are going to choose. So I want to put it to Quebecers like this. If you want someone who's going to fight the climate crisis, who's going to stand up for you, who's going to make sure we make life more affordable, who's going to invest in health care, invest in dental care and medication coverage for all, and make sure that the people at the very, very top, the richest, pay their fair share, the progressive, the progressive option for Quebecers is us, the New Democrats. Well, let's bring in our panel of parliamentary reporters now to talk about the latest developments on day 36 of the campaign. Manon Cornelier is a columnist with Le Devoir. Bob Fife is a parliamentary bureau chief for the Globe and Mail. And Bruce Campion-Smith is a reporter with the Toronto Star. Good to see you all. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Let's start with Battleground in Quebec. I think it's been really interesting to watch over the last number of days here uh, what's been happening there. The rise of the Bloc Québécois and the response from the other parties trying to stop the ground from falling away beneath them in the, in the province of Quebec. So let me start with you, uh, Manon. What, why is the bloc winning this argument as we speak for votes in Quebec, climbing its way back into the race? Part of it is the work of Mr. Blanchet, the, the leader, but uh, for him, uh, everything was in line perfectly. It was the perfect uh, situation, context. Uh, a nationalist party in power in Quebec with demands that he could associate with and relay in Ottawa. And so to, he looks like the guy who really is in, um, on the same wavelength than the big majority of Quebecers, especially francophones. So, uh, and Mr. Scheer, who was the one who wanted to make gains in Quebec, end up say, saying that yes, he can impose a pipeline, yes, uh, on the um, mm. uh, provincial barriers, right. I, can, I can intervene. Uh, he has his uh, social conservatism that is uh, really not shared by a lot of Quebecers. So it, for that, that play a lot in the increase in the Bloc Québécois. The NDP have lost ground under Mr. Singh. And uh, so now it starts to affect 
the liberals in the region, in the more right. peripheral uh, writings, but it's mainly because now there's kind of uh, uh, win in the cell. Yeah, we the, saw the wave uh, in block. Quebec with the NDP, yeah. right? And does it feel like a block wave now? A little bit, maybe not as big as the NDP in in 2011, but uh, no. But they had they have a base. Eh? Uh, most people, uh, the NDP had this big wave mainly on the back of the at the, at the expense of the Bloc Québécois. Right. So those people are just returning. Going back to their natural to go, home. Yeah. Okay, Bob, how do you see this? I mean, have, is there anything the federal parties could have done? Well, well the Bloc's a federal party think, too, but I think it the shows, Federalist Party leaders could have done I think it shows where a debate actually makes a big difference. Because the first DVA debate is where Mr. Scheer did very badly, and that I think Mr. Blanchett Perform strongly, and a lot of I, I'm assuming millions of, of Quebecers mm -hmm. watched that debate, and I think it had a turning point because we saw uh, immediately there was a big spike in the uh, uh, bloc uh, support, and it was reinforced by the second uh, French debate where he did perform well as well. So we haven't we didn't see that in English Canada because the English debate was a disaster, and there was no opportunity for anybody to to um, you know, break out of the pack because it was all chaos. But the French debates were actually well done. And I think, to a large credit, Mr. Blanchet did strongly. And if you're not happy with Mr. Trudeau and you're not interested in uh, Mr. Singh because he wears a turban, and Mr. for all the reasons you outlined about right. Mr. Uh, Mr. Scheer, I think it gave Quebecers, okay, I can park my boat with these guys. They're not talking about separatism, they're talking about issues that matter to me as a Quebecer. And they're talking about being the great defender of Quebec rights, right. uh, Bruce. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. kind of what, what, what's important to understand here is that so goes, as goes Quebec, I mean, the massive influence, what's happening there has, on the, the whole campaign kind of pivoted as we started to see the numbers change in Quebec, right? Now suddenly, uh, every other part of the country matters a little bit more. Certainly, and I, what's interesting is that I don't think any of the parties predicted this. You know, like mm -hmm. I know certainly going into the campaign, the Liberals were quite bullish on Quebec, saying that they already hold large were, number of seats. I was talking to Liberals who were putting a dozen seats in the bank in Quebec. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, another yeah. extra. Yeah, they were yeah. going to be up over yeah, 50. Which I never believed. Yeah. 14 yeah. seats in Quebec was already a lot when you know the story of the Liberal Party in Quebec. Right. I think they, 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 was, they, were, they were forgetting their own history. Yeah, yeah. but certainly now the rise of, of the Bloc has now not only kind of put their Quebec hopes, but it's now put the majority hopes of both mm. Conservatives and Liberals in jeopardy. You know, now they're having to stare at a very different kind of electoral mm. uh, seat map after I thought, thought it was interesting today to see uh, Jagmeet Singh and, you know, Jack Layton's, uh, the town where Jack Layton grew up in Hudson, Quebec, trying to invoke that legacy. Uh, is that going to work? No, he will keep uh, part of his vote that he uh, that he still have in the that the polls are showing, but he, he will not rebound as he would hope uh, to do. But it's clear that his own uh, reputation, his own image, and uh, he had now a, a good he, he had a good image in Quebec. Now people see him on a positive side, and you have to realize Jack Layton have to go through numerous elections yeah, before years. making yeah. a breakthrough, a breakthrough in Quebec. So I think Mr. Singh have guaranteed that he can stay as a leader, and so he will get another chance to continue the work that he have started. Let, let's Bruce the. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau talked today about acknowledging essentially that the Conservatives could win on Monday and that's sort of using that as kind of a rallying cry for progressives again mm -hmm. to, to try and block them. Uh, but 
winning, he says, by in, at least in part using sort of dirty tricks and a negative campaign and and fake you know fake stories about the Liberals uh, to try and win and talking about the nastiness of the campaign. What do you think of that? Well, it was funny the day. Of course, what just to set the scene. Of course, on, on Saturday we had the troubling scene where you know a, a liberal rally was delayed because of a security threat. Mr. Trudeau, when he did come out, he was wearing a protective vest, you know, underneath his uh, dress shirt. So, so that I think is an example of perhaps how far things have gone and kind of the extent of polarization. He reflected on it earlier in the week, uh, saying that you know he came into office. One of his focuses was bringing the country together, and perhaps this is a failing. Forgetting, you know, maybe look in the mirror because you know, I think there's blame on both his part and, of course, the Conservatives on the tone of the campaign. We've had very aggressive tactics by the war room, the Prime Minister, the Liberal leader. He's been out attacking, you know, Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, using them as kind of, you know, uh, shells for the, the uh, federal Conservatives. So, you know, if there's a complaint about tone, then, uh, you know, I think he himself has to answer for some of that. What do you think about that? Well, look, the Liberals were yuck-yucking it up in the first uh, two weeks of the campaign because they were bringing down a number of Conservative candidates through character assassination for things that they were saying ten years ago. Uh, and we only saw it, we saw it last week when, or over the weekend when Ger Gerard, uh, Jerry Butts, the Mr. Trudeau's closest advisor tweeted a picture of Mr. Shear with a construction worker with a yellow vest and indicating that this guy was maybe some kind of a, a racist. Uh, he was a construction worker, like lots of other construction workers wearing yellow vests. I mean, that was really low blow. So he's gotten, he's the last person to be talking about dirty campaigns because the Liberals have been right in the mud along with the Conservatives. In fact, the only party that really hasn't been digging in the mud has been the NDP. Yeah, and so what's the, what, what do you think the effect has been on the campaign? Uh, it, it kept them low in the polls. Yeah, they, <laughs> I think people are tired of that, uh, you know, because, and you, you saw uh, after the debates when people saw the leaders having a more positive message, Mr. Singh, Mr. Blanchet, uh, and even Mrs. They, uh, May was talking of issues and not dirty tricks. They start to rise They the all polls. rise. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, I think there's a lesson there. And you look at 2015, who won the person who have a, a positive message. And, and, uh, and some, some at the time big ideas, right? Whether yeah. they've panned out. Yeah, the, is that what it's done? Is it, has it obscured the any, com well, there yeah. haven't been any big ideas, but um, what do you think, if, what, what effect has it had on the? On, well, sir, the, the one effect that it doesn't seem to have had is, it, you know, you'd think that this kind of campaign would, would you know, sort of dampen voter interest and, and settle, you know, a bit of an apathy would turn. Uh, settle in. But what we saw with the advanced polls was, in fact, perhaps the reverse, you know, that, that uh, turnout there was up 30%. Now, is that just a result of longer polling long hours and more and stations? Just more, yeah. more ease in people deciding, you know, we won't know until we see, you know, how many people vote on Monday. But so that's, you know, so that's trying to, interesting, trying to make sense of you know, what does that higher turnout mean yeah. mm -hmm. at the advanced polls. But it's clearly been a complaint of people throughout the campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this, like, this, stop this reminds me of the 2004 campaign where it was really dirty. There was all kinds of accusations mm -hmm. flying left and right and really dirty ads. And, you know, people don't like that, no. really. And I think that's why, I think the, the liberals have hurt themselves mm -hmm. by going negative. You know, if you if you have a positive message, and they have a positive message, the economy's pretty yeah. good. They didn't have to. They didn't have to go. Yes, yeah. the prime minister's personal image has been hurt by SNC Lavalin and other things, but generally speaking, they could have run on good government. Instead, they ran on negativity towards the conservatives, and I think it 
backfired on the government. Okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about social media and uh, a, a big tweet today from. Uh, this is this is the former U.S. President Barack Obama tweeting today. I was proud to work with Justin Trudeau as president. He's a hardworking, effective leader who takes on big issues like climate change. The world needs his progressive leadership now, and I hope our neighbors to the north support him for another term. Um, he Hello, was just probably Barack, it's, it's Justin he, here. He was sitting on the couch today help. and said, "You know what? Yeah. I think I'll fire off a tweet about Justin Trudeau and how much yeah, I like really him." Really following the Canadian election. Yeah. yeah. What do we make of this? <laughs> Big deal? Help? Hurt? I, I think it uh, it would be neutral. Yeah, I don't think Canadians will make their choice based on that. Like if people weren't going to vote for Justin Trudeau and they suddenly Barack Obama says, "You know, exactly. hope he gets reelected." Did that suddenly go, you know, I hadn't thought if Barack Obama likes him, maybe I will <laughs> vote for him. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? Well, it, it, I think it could have, have some benefit to, to the, the Liberals in the sense that, you know, of course it comes as, you know, that, that Mr. Trudeau, he's out making the case, trying to rally progressives around him and avoid any bleed of support to the NDP and the Greens and trying, you know, try and coalesce enough support to get to a majority. So, so it kind of, you know, reinforces that message. You know, if, it, you know, there are going to be those of the view, it's like, oh, you know, this kind of celebrity politics and, but if, you know, you, you already held that view of, the, uh, of Mr. Trudeau, so I, I can't see it being much of a downside. You know, perhaps a slight upside. Yeah, uh, I guess the Spurlock. What's, what's for some people here, Bob? The story won't be that Barack Obama tweeted. It'll be what did it take to get him to tweet, and is that a sign of desperation? Uh, how do you read this? Well, I, I look. Obviously, I, I think the Liberals, uh, either Jerry Butts through uh, David Axelrod, asked him to. Put a tweet out because I don't think he's following the election like he is. I'm, I'm, I would bet my money on that. But if I was Andrew Shear, I'd be sitting like this. Please, Donald Trump. Please, don't endorse don't me. Don't endorse me. I don't need this. And nobody knows what Donald Trump is going to do. He hates Barack Obama. He's not a big fan of Justin Trudeau. He could very well And he say, likes to tweet from time to time. He likes to yep. tweet from time to time. So, you know, maybe over a hamburger and a Coke in the White House, he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to endorse the other guy. The other guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but why not, though? Because, you know, Barack, like Jason Kenney and Doug Ford aren't in the campaign, and Barack Obama's not either, but now he is. <laughs> so there's, there, maybe there's room for everybody. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing, of course, is you know, the, immediately the question was foreign interference. You know, the very yeah. kind of thing that we were set up to try That's and guard point. against. And now, you know, well, you know, the Elections Canada has to weigh in. Well, we well don't think it's, it's, says no because, because there's no money. No money. Yeah. He wasn't paid to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did yeah. ask the Liberals. Wait, did you pay him to do this? Unless it was a long, dis <laughs> a long distance call that you know, the reverse yeah. the charges yeah, to get him yeah. between. No, yeah. crazy speculation here, but. All right, so we'll see if it has what kind of effect it has in the yeah. campaign. And uh, five more days to go. Hard to Exciting. Hard yeah. To Lots yeah. to watch still yeah. to come. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you. Well, much of our focus tonight has been on the election battle in the province of Quebec, and there is no doubt that's a much bigger battleground than, say, the province of Saskatchewan. But in a tight election, and it looks as if that's what we'll have, every riding matters, which brings me to Liberal candidate for re-election, Ralph Goodale. He's like a political cat with nine lives, only with a lot more lives. He's held the riding of Regina Wascana for the past 26 years in a province that has become decidedly conservative. Every time it looks like Goodale will be defeated, he wins. But will he keep that streak alive this time? Good question. 
and why Regina Wascana is one of CPAC's ridings to watch. A bright blue sky dwarfs the legislative grounds in Saskatchewan's capital city. It's a hue generally in line with the province's conservative political leanings. But for the past 26 years, the riding of Regina Wascana, where the legislative building sits, has been a lone island of red, ruled by one man. And so he is an institution of himself and he does have a lot of loyalty that's very, very personal. I haven't been doing this as long as Ralph, but the biggest thing I've learned, because I've done a number of these debates. I actually talked to Mr. Goodale, uh, what was it, uh, Wednesday. He was, he was in my building uh, canvassing. He won in 2011, so there's a pretty good chance that he could win again now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think he's polling towards winning again this year, but um, it'll be interesting to see with how much... Uh, disdain there is for the Liberals in Alberta and Saskatchewan if he'll actually retain that seat. I don't think there's really any question about that. Saskatchewanians have been very opposed to a carbon tax. So when you have, uh, you know, for Mr. Goodale, that puts him in a tough position. I believe Ralph is trying. I do believe it's the Saskatchewan government refusing their offer. was a consummate politician. He worked very hard at it, very hard at it, long hours. He would go to everything. He would go to to any event, he was there, he was all, people saw him everywhere. The existence of the Liberals uh, in this province centers around Ralph Goodale and their eagerness, willingness or practicality of putting all their resources in Goodale's seat and trying to get him re-elected uh, each and every election uh, obviously has paid dividends for it. It wouldn't work for anybody else other than Ralph Goodale. Like, I was young when Ralph Goodale was first elected. That's how old Ralph Goodale is. In today's volatile political climate, is Ralph's Red Island in danger of being swept up in a sea of blue? One time I was door knocking a few months ago and I, I said to the gentleman, hi, I'm just here to introduce myself. I'm Michael Cram, I'm the Conservative candidate. And I swear his exact words were, you could be an axe murderer, I'm still voting for you because we need to get these Liberals out of here. Regina-born software developer Michael Cram is the first candidate to challenge Goodale in two consecutive campaigns. Pipelines are extremely important for not just the resource sector of Saskatchewan's economy, but also for the provincial government's budget who relies so heavily on resource royalties. So certainly getting these pipelines built is uh, right up there in the terms of priorities for uh, the people of Regina Wascana, as is cancelling the carbon tax, as is lowering income taxes and getting back to balanced budgets.
Much of the conservative campaign focuses on getting rid of Goodale. You almost need to start from there, where you have to have a solid, solid candidate running continuously against him. Now, maybe that will happen this, this time, second, second time, time. Exactly, yeah. And and name recognition and other factors are going to become become a bigger issue in play, as is the Trudeau record and as is uh, uh, how there's been a concerted effort this time to tie uh, Ralph Goodale to Justin Trudeau. If you were in the city this summer, you saw large uh, billboards on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, all over the city basically with Ralph and, uh, and uh, Justin Trudeau and basically saying, send Trudeau a message by defeating Ralph. The eight-time incumbent says he's been in tough before. In political life in this part of the prairies, uh, uh, I have uh, never adopted the, uh, the easy route or the simple course. Uh, I'm used to swimming upstream. So how many years were you with the lead first? Uh, 30 years. My goodness. There was an era where, where people were kind of born with a political label on their forehead because that's what their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents were and that will never change. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in this, in this day and age, uh, people are more, more open and more flexible than, uh, uh, than they have been historically. In 1993, when Ralph Goodale was first elected in Regina, Wascana, the Montreal Canadiens had just won their 24th Stanley Cup. Bill Clinton was elected as President of the United States. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You topped music charts. But so far, so good. I think that everything, yes. And Jean Chrétien and the Liberals swept the House of Commons, winning 177 of 295 possible seats. I could see, certainly see the winds were changing. I knew there was going to be a dramatic change that, 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 uh, that Maroney was, was not going to make it again. Not, he was, I mean, his, his approval rating, I was down in the teens, I think. Bob Peterson served as Ralph Goodale's campaign manager in 1988. They lost a tight three-way race before winning the seat in 93. Striking crown workers blocked managers. <laughs> From then on, he just kept winning. He's been winning ever since. So there's no gaps. I think so. Those are all the Liberal Prime Ministers from Alexander all the way through to uh, Paul. Whenever they got a big problem and need it solved, they go to Ralph. And Christian, after the sponsorship, he went to Ralph and said, we got a problem, get in there and fix it. And Ralph did. Uh, but it takes a toll too because you're carrying on. He was the face of all the, the problems of that. But because of the way he handled it, I think it held him in there. The two most and fiscally irresponsible governments in modern history are Stephen Harper and, uh, uh, and Brian Mulroney. And in fact, answer this question. How many conservative governments balanced a budget for Canada in the 20th century? I, I, you know I can answer many? that. I can One. answer that. It well, there's, there's there's one, and it was back in 1913 uh, or 14, and that was uh, Sir Robert Borden. Okay. That's the only budget the Conservatives balanced in the entire 20th 
century. I would like to focus on the 21st century. In the last full That's year, that the, the last full year that the Conservatives were in office, we left you with a two billion dollar no, surplus. Yes, we did. Look no, at the you look didn't. at the oh sure. You, you last full not. year in the office, two billion dollars. No, no, no. The parliamentary last budget officer adjusted your figures. We had a two billion dollar surplus, and then Justin no, Trudeau drove us off the cliff, and he <laughs> still promised to bring bring us back to balance by 2019, and that promise went straight into the trash. We find that every party makes their share of mistakes and, and need to be held accountable and, uh, and to hammer on. Uh, you know, Stephen Harper uh, ran up a lot of debt during his time in office, and we hammered him as a result. The current uh, government promised to balance the budget before we got to this election. That hasn't happened, uh, so we're making fun of them, too. Uh, we find that no party has a monopoly on, uh, on silly, and we make fun of all of them. In the economy, um, you know, there's, there's a great line by P.G. O'Rourke, uh, politicians are economic cheerleaders who mistakenly think they're carrying the ball, right? So, so much of what happens in an economy is so far beyond the control of any politician. Um, we have the federal liberals who are running one set of policies in Canada and the Trump Republicans in the U.S. which are running a different set of policies. And, and both economies are doing very, very well right now. Low unemployment, relatively low inflation. Um, we're seeing some signs of wage growth. So which, which set of policies is correct? Which politician is causing that economic growth? In reality, for the most part, it's probably neither. Governments have a very bad track record across the world of generating wealth. What they're good at and what they need to be doing is they, they need to create the preconditions for wealth. A lot of people are getting uh, too much that they never worked for. Common sense and no, no more uh, frivolous promises of spending our money. Deficit's a big concern and uh, they just don't seem to, doesn't seem to be a big issue with any of them. Uh, a little bit on the conservative side, but we're trying to see uh, most interested in that and what somebody's going to try to address it and, and deal with uh, with the spending that's going on. Mr. Hill, thank you for being here. Well, the Conservative Party has promised to get back to balanced budgets within five years, and our platform has been fully costed by the Parliamentary Budget Office. So. We, we are confident that we will be back to balance in five years, whereas the Liberals are, are you know, promising more deficits until forever and a day. As for making life more affordable, we're going to do that uh, through a variety of, of uh, tax incentives. We are, we are going to cancel the carbon tax, which is making a life more affordable for every, or less affordable for everyone. We are going to lower the lowest income tax bracket from 15% to 13 and 3 quarters percent. That is going to leave an average of $850 a year in the pockets of the people who need it most. We're going to have tax incentives for people who take public transit, tax breaks for people who register their kids in sports and extracurricular activities. So at the end of every month, people will have an easier time getting ahead and managing their paychecks under a conservative government compared to what we've seen from the Liberals for the last four years. And you, you always have to tailor your fiscal, your fiscal plan to the most critical issues that are before you at any given point in time. Uh, back in the 1990s or in the early 2000s, the issue was a crushing 
uh, debt to GDP ratio that was 70%. The debt was 70% the size of the overall economy. That was unsustainable. That had to be dealt with, and we did. Now the issue is how do you sustain growth at a fast enough rate to create the jobs and create the prosperity and secure the pensions and increase the wages that Canadians are expecting. If we don't start going for what we want, we're never going to get it. The Liberals and the Conservatives both, if you vote strategically for either of them, they run with that vote and they assume that you love them and your voice never gets heard. Green Party candidate Tamala Friesen also ran in 2015. Some would have us believe that the Green Party platform isn't doable, it's not realistic. I don't think that's great leadership. This time around, she says it's unlikely she will oust the riding's incumbent, but voters in Regina Wascana are more perceptive to her party's priorities of electoral reform and environmental action. We are placed kickers vying to kick the winning field goal in the Grey Cup for the Rough Riders. We're lined up on the 45-yard line. The other platforms have boldly proclaimed, we're going to kick that ball 30 yards. The other plans are not good enough. They don't meet the targets that we need to meet. They're focused on what can't be done, what's so hard to do, instead of what must be done, what we must innovate for. It's an opportunity to give people some choice, to send a message. Uh, I've been saying, you know, last time around, Ralph won by 15,000 votes. If he wins by only 5,000 votes, because 10,000 votes move green, you can bet he's taken green policy to cabinet with him. I wonder something, too, because they had that call with Jake Meat this afternoon. Oh, okay. And uh, there was some, Ray was on it, so he was showing me there was like basically six message points that they're saying to like focus on okay. for the last stretch of the campaign. What I see is a party that really is in it for everybody. You know, they aren't just going to tackle certain things here, certain things there. They want to make sure that everybody is having the equal opportunities. My intellectual disability prevents me from driving. To get around, it's nearly impossible now. Like, I have to rely on my husband or someone else to take me up to Saskatoon to see family or go to my board meetings that I take part in for the nonprofit I belong to. In 2017, Saskatchewan lost both intercity and interprovincial bus services. The provincial government shut down the Saskatchewan Transportation Company, or STC, due to financial losses and decreased ridership. Greyhound bus services ended shortly after. Like I felt like I was being let down by the government because that was my only source of transportation, per se. And they didn't even give us any notice. Really? Now I feel like I'm a prisoner in my own community without going anywhere like I used to be fairly independent with STC and now that STC is gone I'm a prisoner in my own community. Families, seniors and individuals have been left stranded when STC was cancelled by the SAS party government. While the decision to end STC was provincial, the federal NDP recently announced it would reintroduce rural intercity public transit. I uh, just met with the CNIB, you know, um, dealing with vision 
impairment and vision loss. And that was something they were really worried about. There's, you know, that's what I heard. This woman couldn't go to her own cousin's funeral because how is she supposed to get there? You know, you can't hire an Uber to take you across the provinces. So it is very important to me that we do re-implement this as quickly as possible for the people of Saskatchewan so that everybody has the equal opportunity. It's pretty hard to, uh, to imagine that those, those folks being able to function successfully uh, without some form of public transit available to them in a reasonable way. The Government of Canada is prepared to assist, recognizing that the, for the most part this is not our jurisdiction. But because these issues uh, touch upon health care, touch upon indigenous uh, people, uh, uh, touch upon human rights and civil rights, uh, we're prepared to be part of a solution uh, if we can work something out with the province. What about us? The federal campaign plays out amid provincial tensions. Wage disputes between unionized Crown employees and the Saskatchewan government forced more than 4,500 staff off the job to the picket lines. And today we're here to send a message to Premier Mo that we're here to fight for a fair deal. So when I say what do we want, you say fair deal. What do we want? Fair deal! Goodale says it's natural that issues from other levels of government bleed into the federal picture. You need to participate in public events, uh, listen to what your constituents are saying, even sometimes when it's not directly a federal issue. Uh, it still helps to, to, to shape the atmosphere uh, that uh, is important for the local community. So that engagement is uh, a very basic part of the job description. Hi, Ralph. How Hello. are you? Good. Good. How are you? Oh, good. Good. Excellent. 2020 will bring both provincial and municipal elections to Regina. Voters are looking for all levels of government to speak to issues directly impacting their communities. This fall, two local pools in Regina, Wascana closed for demolition. The city has voted to fund new pools, but so far they're left alone with the bill due to a federal-provincial dispute. Every project is up for, for, uh, uh, for approval. Uh, we have many municipalities asking for money to fund their projects, so there's a host of them right around the, the province. We have uh, an issue related to uh, our recreation master plan and, and what we see as being our major priorities. So both those pools, uh, Maple Leaf and Muscana, were applied to for the federal government in the province for approval for funding, about $20 million for the, both projects together. That was uh, turned down. Goodale says the federal government is willing to fund the inner city public pools should the province decide to participate. An offer not necessarily appreciated by Saskatchewan's Premier. Regardless of Goodale's stature as the longest serving MP prior to dissolution of Parliament, he's not beyond playing politics when it counts. He's been known to insert himself at every level of politics to make sure his constituents know he's getting the job done. Well, to be clear here, we're building them on schedule. We will fund them. We've approved uh, uh, Maple Leaf Pool already in the budget. And when Wisconsin comes in, we'll do that as well. We'll reapply again for money next year, but we will not slow these down. We, the, the community will not see a gap between uh, the, you know, the demolition of one pool and then the, the construction of another one. We'll be as tight as we can be on that. Cram agrees local and federal politics are connected, but sees the issue through a different lens. People know that when you go to vote on election day, 
you're voting for the local candidate and the party's policies and the leader. And people, you know, understand that Justin Trudeau's record has been very harmful, particularly for Western Canada over the last four years. And people don't want to vote against their interests. And that means not voting for the Liberals, no matter which riding you're in. Oh, guys, how are you? Good. Want to vote today? Yes. Well, many of them are from outside of Regina. Clearly, some of them live across Canada. And they're able to vote for the candidate of their choice in their home electoral district without having to go home to do that on the advanced polls or an election day. I think the NDP seems like a really good um, party for students. The Green Party, I think, sometimes pushes it a little bit too far, but I would say NDP definitely seems to be being very inclusive and being very aware of what students need, what people need, and things like that. Right now, at the moment, I don't have any opinions, and I, I should be, because I recently became a Canadian citizen, and I should be much more involved with the Canadian politics, because I believe that uh, you don't have a right to complain if you don't even vote. A lot of the... Uh, conservative sentiment, uh, I think, in the West is tied to the oil industry. Um, as a student, I don't necessarily share that sentiment. Um, my vote is going to go to uh, parties that maybe support um, um, incentives, incentives for students and uh, loans and stuff like that. I am a recent, you know, I went to university about five years ago. I'm still suffering with student loans. I'm a first-time homebuyer here in the city. I'm battling with all the extra costs and everything, you know. And what I think that we need to do is say, These are, this is the future, you know. Is Mr. Goodale going to get on board with what needs to be done to ensure that everybody's moving forward? Or are we going to have to find someone with the voice that will get us there? I have encountered one person who's actually verbalized to me that I am solidly for Ralph Goodale. And so I'm not 100% convinced that he still has the goodwill to overcome the frustration that people are feeling with Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. I had many people tell me uh, in 2015, you know, I always vote for Ralph Goodale and I don't particularly pay attention to, to who the party leader is. And these same people have told me this time around, I voted for last Good Ralph Goodale the last 20 years, but I just can't do it this time because there's so much frustration out there with Justin Trudeau. Ralph won the seat, but then the Conservatives are only about 10% behind. So you need uh, as many volunteers as you can get. You have to work the phones. Uh, you have to be out and about in the constituency, attending public functions. Any way that you can communicate and connect with, uh, with voters and have, hopefully, a, a, a serious conversation. And uh, that, that critical thing, personally, ask for their support. And the one thing you have to remember in every campaign is when you do that, when you're asking for um, a vote, uh, you are asking for the single most precious thing that a citizen has to give in a democracy. I don't think any other politician in this province could come as close to doing what he's done as a Liberal uh, 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 candidate. It really is surprisingly phenomenal, uh, phenomenal given sort of how politics is in this province. Obviously, this is not a Liberal province and has never really been a liberal province for 70, 80 years, and yet he seems to have carved out a remarkable career uh, despite the odds. I, Ralph Goodale, do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear that I will truly and faithfully and to the best of my skill and knowledge... The senior statesman has some advice for all those successful on October 21st. If you have the honour to sit in the House of Commons, there is not a bad seat. Uh, it's a very special place uh, that, uh, that requires you uh, to, uh, uh, to be on, hopefully, your best behavior. 
uh, and performing up to a standard that the people who put you there uh, would, uh, would be proud of. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a distinct privilege to be able to cross that doorstep, uh, not as uh, a spectator or a tourist, uh, but as an MP. And you always have to treat that very, very respectfully. For CPAC, I'm Morgan Campbell in Regina, Wascana.